Hey there, everyone. Thank you for welcoming me to wherever you are today. Listen, God is moving all over the earth. There are so many things happening on the globe right now, and we're so glad that we can be a voice crying in the midst of the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. We are Jesus people. We are the Jesus church. And so we have been walking through this all year long. Listen, if you're on Facebook, it looks a little bit different. We had some changes that happened on the Facebook platform, not specifically to us, but overall. And because of that, there isn't a live chat feature in this, and you're just getting the message. But you're going to get the word. We're going to dig into this. Listen, if you're on YouTube, be in the chat, get in the chat. Uh, If you're on uh, our website, uh, player, get in the chat. Just chat. We want you to be with our moderators and talking back and forth. We want to engage with you and answer anything, hear anything that the Lord may be saying to you. And uh, man, we just thank you so much for welcoming us to wherever you are. Listen, before we get into the word, I want to remind you of, of a very important thing that we're a part of. For the whole month of September, we are part of Go By Giving. This is for the Ukraine and Moldova. It's about to hit wintertime, and the Ukraine war is continuing. Bombs are falling. Uh, Our friends at the Orphan's Hands, we have partnered with them coming from Moldova into the Ukraine, rescuing people, clothing people, feeding people, all of those things, while also taking in people who are leaving Ukraine and coming into Moldova. And with that, we are getting together coats, blankets, uh, personal items, all those things together. We have drop-off locations in Shreveport, Boger, and in our region, but we also have a way that you can give to this. You can go to thpshreveport.com. Uh, you can click on uh, our online giving option, and you can give toward Ukraine Moldova Relief. Ukraine Moldova Relief. Uh, if you go to the drop-down menu, it would be THP Compassion. Then you could put in the note Ukraine Moldova Relief, and all of that money will go to blankets, uh, coats, uh, personal items, all of that which will be delivered uh, to orphan's hands, and then they will put it in a, a freighter, a shipping container to be shipped across the world to the Ukraine and Moldova. So uh, we want to be a part of this. We want to be a part of what God is doing. And I'm so thankful that right from wherever we are, we can be a part of helping people all over the world in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. With that, We have been going through this thing we call Jesus Church, all right? Come on, put in the chat right now. If you're in the chat, put Jesus Church. I am not just a part of the church. I am the church. We're talking about being the church, the body of Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, you know, we have read this many times, but in Matthew 16, uh, it is a setting where Jesus is with the disciples, and he says this. He says, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What is the foundation of our faith? There it is. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this, but my father who's in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He wasn't saying that he would build it on Peter, but on the revelation that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. On that, he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And then we know moving forward that the disciples, the apostles, the disciples took that with them and with that foundation, they began to, 
to, to seek God on their own, that Jesus died, he resurrected, they found themselves in a place praying for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit comes, fills them, God moves, all these Jews are receiving Christ as Messiah, as the Son of the living God, they're being baptized, it's amazing, it's incredible. And then what do they do after? What does this group of people do? What does the early church do once all of that happens? Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued. They continued. We have talked about the foundation, right? The foundation of our faith. We've talked about the power that comes. If Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, then it is a powerful church. It's not an anemic church. It's not a weak church. It's a powerful church. We talked about the teaching. And then we have also talked about the fellowship. We've talked about the fellowship, the kononia, that it's not just benefit, but it's responsibility, that we need to participate in what God is doing together, right? Together. So today we're going to talk about the breaking of bread. Come on. If you've got uh, a little emoji to put in there, a bread emoji, put it in there. We want the breaking of bread today is what we're going to talk about. Again, we're talking about being Jesus church. What does that really mean? Well, it means that the foundation is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. It means the power of the Holy Spirit. It means the apostles doctrine, the teaching, the word of God. It means fellowship with one another, kononia, participation together, receiving and giving. But it also means the breaking of bread. Now, when we think of the breaking of bread, we can think of one of two things. We can think about just gathering around a table and eating, and we'd be right. But we can also think of what we have heard as maybe the Lord's Supper, communion, you know, holy communion, maybe even the Eucharist. All these different terminologies for the breaking of bread. See, the word bread has been used as a general term for food and provision for thousands of years. And it's certainly true for the early church. And, and have you ever thought about this? Persecution right off the bat. Growth, like immense growth. Multiplication growth happening in days. People from all over the world who had come to Jerusalem for the feast, not going back home, but staying. Think about this for a second. We, we don't think about this a lot. 3,000 gave their lives to Jesus. Guess what? A lot of them just stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't go back to their homes. Again, sometimes we think, oh, they're at a feast and it's just the people in Jerusalem. No, they're from all over the world. That's why when all these tongues came forth, they understood in their own language they were coming from all over the world. But many of these people, thousands of these people, stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't go back home. They stayed. All this is taking place at one time. And so why did they stay? To be discipled. Why? To be discipled in the apostles' doctrine. But in all of this, guess what that did? It created a desperate need. Now, here in Louisiana, we know this. Man, a hurricane comes. Maybe it hits the, the south hard, and people trying to escape so they won't die, they come north, right? Now, they come north for a season sometimes, and then they go back home. But we have many people right here in Shreveport, Louisiana, that Hurricane Katrina hit in the, in, the, in the early 2000s. And guess what? Many of them just stayed here, and they're here to this day. Well, guess what that created in Shreveport? It created a need. These people are going to need housing. They're going to need food. They don't have anything. They left their homes with nothing. That's what's going on right here. 
So with that context in mind, when you read verse 44, all who believe, these aren't just the disciples, all who believe were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and good, divided them among all as anyone had need. Some of these sold the possessions that they had traveled with from their countries. They sold everything they had so that everyone would be taken care of. And they divided among all as anyone had need, continuing daily one accord, breaking bread from house to house, ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That changes the way that you read that. It's not just the disciples and the apostles. We're talking about people who never went home. They just stayed. Now they've got to have a place to live. Now they've got to have food. Now, they gotta ha- now they're going to have to get jobs. All these things are taking place. There is a desperate need. And when we talk about bread, it was a common food. To break bread was a term used for sharing a normal meal. But listen, when Jesus uses the term break bread, breaking bread, or the breaking of bread, it is not in reference to a normal meal. Instead, it describes a particular practice that would become unique to believers in Jesus. The breaking of bread. Not just breaking of bread, but the, a specific breaking of bread. The breaking of bread meant a specific practice of the breaking of bread. Again, we would say communion, Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper. But even in those days, it was known even as the love feast. You know, back to Acts 2.46 in the New Living Translation says this. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Now think about that for a second. It was natural for the Lord's Supper to be observed during a meal because it started during a meal. How did all of this start? Well, it started with the Passover meal. That's how it all started. Exodus 12. Exodus 12, it was a prophetic preview of Jesus. Listen, everything in the Old Testament, a lot of people are like, Old Testament, man, that doesn't mean anything. Yes, it does. It's all types and shadows. It's all prophetic uh, fulfillments of Jesus. If you don't have the Old Testament, then Jesus doesn't fulfill anything. Come on. If you're not reading the Old Testament, if you don't believe the Old Testament, then Jesus doesn't fulfill anything if it didn't exist, if it doesn't matter. But Jesus comes to fulfill it, thereby it matters. It is evidence, it is confirmation, it is prophetic confirmation. Even Peter said it in his letters. He said, listen, I saw the transfiguration. I heard the voice of the Lord. I saw all these things, but now we have the prophetic word confirmed. We have the ancient prophecies confirmed. If they don't matter, we don't have confirmation. It matters. And when we look at Exodus 12, the Passover meal, it's this prophetic preview of Jesus. So many times we we get caught up in this thing of, hey man, the feasts are just for Jews. The word of God never once says that the feasts were the feasts of the Jews. It is the feasts of the Lord. And by the way, All of us will celebrate one of those feasts even after Christ comes back. The Feast of Tabernacles will be celebrated. Nations will come for it. We will all celebrate it, not just Jews, but all. When we talk about the feasts, they are types and shadows. They meant something then. 
They mean something in the future. And then when you get to that future, then it means something for the future. When Jesus came, it it meant something. Now, as we're living today, it means something. Even the times and the seasons. And so in Exodus 12, before the 10th and final plague on Egypt, which was the death of the firstborn, God commanded the children of Israel to take a spotless lamb, kill it, smear the blood on the doorpost over the door. And the death angel would see the blood and pass over it. Not only saving them from destruction, listen to this, but also delivering them from their bondage. So Passover was born. To be reminded every year with a feast time and of course, a meal. A feast time coming together to remember. A meal to remember. Why is the loss of the dinner table so important in the day we live in? Because around that dinner table is a time to talk. It's a time to remember. It's a time of communication. It's a time for relationship. That's why the table is so important. My generation was probably the first generation to begin to to eat with like a dinner tray. Right? Why? Because now there was this box in the living room that was projecting images that we all wanted to gather around and look and, and tune into. And so now the table became less important and less important. And now the reminders become less and less and less. And now families begin to be fractured more and more and more and more. That's why the table is so important. Passover. Jesus sat with the disciples before his death for what? The Passover meal. He literally is fulfilling it right before their very eyes. Listen, here's, they understood the prophetic nature of it, but not the fulfillment yet. Like, oh, this is prophetic, man, this is happening. But they didn't understand the fulfillment of it. They needed deliverance from spiritual death. What happened with the children of Israel? The the death angel would pass over, not only saving them from destruction, but what else? Releasing them and delivering them from bondage. No death, but you're not going to be a slave anymore either. Sometimes people don't mind being alive and continuing to be a slave. It's the same in the spirit. So many times the Lord comes in a, in a time of emergency and we allow him to move in our lives and we feel like he saved us. But now we don't serve him because we'd rather be in bondage, held in bondage. It was being saved from destruction, but also delivered from bondage. And listen, the disciples, as they're around the table, they understood again, but not the fulfillment. They needed deliverance from spiritual death because Jesus was indeed the spotless lamb. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Matthew 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples. And here's what he said. Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus broke the bread as they watched. And this is where the breaking of bread comes from. This would symbolize what would happen to Jesus's body. Pierced, killed, like, like a Passover lamb. And I don't have time to go into all that, but I'm just telling you, if you study, when he comes into the, into the city, on that mule, he comes into the city and they're dropping palm leaves and they're singing hosannas. If you go from that moment all the way to his crucifixion, you will see the process that they took the lamb through during Passover. 
They brought the spotless lamb in, inspected, laid open, the way the blood was poured out, everything. Jesus fulfills it in real time before them, and they don't even understand it. It's like the flesh of, of the Passover lamb. Jesus commanded them to eat the bread. He wasn't saying, hey, take a gouge out of my flesh. He wasn't saying that. He was equating it with the Passover lamb, just as they would eat of that, just as they would partake of that, like the flesh of the Passover lamb. He commanded them to eat the bread. And Jesus then takes a single cup, the blood of one for all. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Jesus included the words, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, Paul shares a powerful insight. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation? Participation, that word there is what? Konania, fellowship in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation, konania, in the body of Christ? In the blood and the body. Now, for some, they're like, oh, yes, I'm partaking of the real blood of Jesus and the real body of Jesus. No, you're not. No, that's not what that scripture's saying. Because in context, what is Paul talking about? He is rebuking them. And why is he rebuking them? Because they are partaking of this in a lighthearted manner, in a foolish manner. If you know anything about the word foolish, in those times, completely different than what we see it as today. We say foolish today, we're meaning somebody's clowning somebody or somebody's just messing around or maybe they're not, they're not super wise. But in those days, to be called foolish... That was a curse. And that was a curse word. To be called a fool was one of the worst of the worst. And these people were being foolish. What were they being foolish with? One another, their behavior toward one another. These are believers, yet you had sexual immorality. You had, you had some people were uh, stealing things. That's why Paul dealt with them and said, listen, the new man, if you're a thief, you don't steal anymore. You're the new man. You put off old things. You don't lie anymore. Your heart, is in a, your, your heart is in a different place. You've got a different mind, the mind of Christ now. And Paul rebukes them in context of this, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, Paul rebukes them for being selfish. Why does that matter? Not loving and caring for one another. Because here's why it matters. They weren't recognizing that the body of Christ was now the people sitting around the table with them. As you've done unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Paul is rebuking them because they are demeaning and defacing the body of Christ, which was the people, the believers around them. And as they're taking of the love feast, Paul's like, listen, you're cutting in line, basically saying you're cutting in line, you're getting in front of it, you're all coming here to gorge, you're all coming here to go back home and eat your normal meal and then come back and receive the love feast in a worthy manner. You bunch of gluttons, you bunch of selfish humans, go take care of your need and then come back here so that you can see your brothers and sisters in a light that they are the body of Christ. He warned them if they did not change their behavior towards one another, if they did not search themselves, that judgment would come to them instead of forgiveness, blessing, healing, and deliverance. Paul was saying, listen, you demean one another, you defile one another, and then you take this, 
you're bringing judgment on yourself. The way you treat one another, you're bringing judgment. What does Scripture say? In red letters, give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together. Press down, shaken together. Shall men give unto your bosom. If you give it, what was it talking about? Money? No, it was talking about judgment. If you give judgment, it's coming back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If you do that to your brother or sister, if you give that, if you give love, guess what's coming back? Love, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If you give joy, guess what's coming back to you? Joy, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And Paul's saying, you're not giving any of that. You're being sinful, and because of that, you're bringing judgment. That's why he says, search your hearts. Search your hearts. Look inside in your own heart. Inspect your own heart. See if there's anything impure, that your motives are pure, so that when you come together and you receive this moment, you will be reminded that Jesus paid a price, not so you could be sinful towards one another, but so that you could be brothers and sisters in Christ. And catch this, I was talking to Dallas about this earlier. Isn't it amazing that Jesus does not start this practice in the temple? He starts it in a home. Jesus starts the breaking of bread in a home, house to house. Breaking bread in families, breaking bread at dinner. With friends, when's the last time that you received communion together when you invited somebody over for a meal? Well, that's just, no, it's biblical. That's what it is. That's just, ellipsis, biblical. It's not crazy. It's not not normal. It's not, man, that's just, that's just too spiritual. It's biblical. See, we don't want to live culturally. We want to live biblically. Breaking of bread in families at dinner with friends, at small group, at houses of prayer. And you know what you're saying? Welcome to Jesus' church. This is the body. So why break bread? Let's break it all down. Because Jesus even broke bread the very day he was raised from the dead. Catch that. One of the things that Jesus does after he resurrects from the dead is to break bread. Now, we think about people coming out of graves. We think about, you know, uh, Mary Magdalene seeing Jesus. We see, uh, oh, he was coming through walls, like he was just appearing. But guess what? In the middle of all that, he preaches a, an amazing sermon. The resurrected Jesus preaches an amazing ser uh, sermon to two men who didn't even know he was Jesus. And then he also breaks bread. And there's something that happens when he breaks bread that probably will stay with me for the rest of my life. I just don't see communion the same once I saw this. In Luke 24, verse 30, but they constrained him. This is the man on the walk to Emmaus. They've heard the, the testimonies from the women that Jesus has raised from the dead. And instead of staying in Jerusalem to experience it for themselves, they run away and they're going to Emmaus. They're going to their homes. They're getting away. 
And the resurrected Jesus appears to him. They don't know who he is. Their eyes are kind of blinded. They don't see it. He walks with them. He's talking with them. He preaches to them all the ancient prophecies of himself. None of it changes them. And so they're sitting there and it says this, but they constrained him saying, abide with us for his toward evening. Now it's into the evening. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead and, and it is nighttime now. And you would have to go all the way back to Jerusalem, which wasn't just jumping on a tram and going. you got to walk back. you got to go back, right? And here's what it says. Abide with us for his toward evening, and the day is far spent. He went in to stay with them. They invited him into their house. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. He's doing exactly what he did with his disciples while he was alive, before his death, to tell them about he was fulfilling the the Passover. And now he's doing it. The resurrected Jesus is doing it. He breaks it, gives it to them. Their eyes are open and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. The moment Jesus broke bread, their eyes were open intimacy, remembrance. How do we know that they reminded themselves? Did our hearts not burn before, not right now, did our hearts not burn within us when he spoke? When he broke the bread, they were reminded. Their eyes were open. It was intimacy. It was Jesus. It was their love for Jesus. Their eyes were open. They were reminded that their hearts had burned within them. And then it confirmed in their hearts, this is Jesus. And what did they do? In the middle of the night, they ran back to Jerusalem. They wanted to be where Jesus was. They wanted to be a part of what Jesus was doing, what he was saying, whatever it meant, whatever the cost. They didn't care what time it was. They didn't care what their schedules were. They didn't care how busy they were. Nothing mattered to them other than intimacy with Jesus. When your eyes are open, listen, we're all walking around this journey, this pilgrimage we call life. But so many times we're confessing Jesus but our eyes have been dimmed and we don't see him for who he really is and thereby we don't have a genuine passion for him. We have a passion to do good things, but we don't have a passion for him because our eyes have been overshadowed. They've been dimmed a bit by the culture, by the world, by our own mistakes, our own sinfulness. And we hear sermons and we hear testimonies and we're not changed, but we haven't truly invited him in and taken a pause to sit with him and to break bread and to have our eyes open. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for years, yet there's something missing. Your eyes have been restrained, clouded by hard times, by disappointment. Jesus wants to open the eyes of our hearts today. And not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And the breaking of bread reminds us we are not our own, but we've been bought with a price. A terrible tragic price was paid for us the precious body and the blood of jesus christ remember remember let's return to our first love no matter what it costs us now listen i don't i don't know if you're prepared or not 
but we're going to receive today. We're going to partake of the bread and the cup. And I've got a little wafer, kind of looks like some insulation. (laughs) And I've got this cup that's bent in so many different directions because it's about 147 degrees in Louisiana uh, at almost September. But guess what? It doesn't really matter. What matters is here, my heart. So maybe you got a Ritz, or maybe you got one of those little oyster crackers, or maybe you just got something somewhere sitting around. Grab it. Maybe you got apple juice. Maybe you got some water next to you. Maybe you got some coffee, whatever. Well, not whatever. <laughs> just say it, not whatever. I, I'm going to correct myself. We're not going to edit or do anything. I'm not coming back to preach this all over again. Not whatever, but that which keeps you sane and sober, okay? But take these. We're going to take these today, and we're going to believe God that in this, you know, Paul even said this about, about what they were doing at the church at Corinth. And he said, listen, Some of you are sick. Like literally your body is sick. Because you have tried to walk this out in an unworthy manner. He wasn't saying they were sick because they had a certain kind of bread or a certain kind of cup. He was saying you're sick because of your behavior. Not anyone else. Your behavior and your behavior toward one another, some of you are sick and feeble. But you don't have to be, you can be healed. How do we change our behavior? It's not about changing our behavior. It's about coming to Jesus and being a new creation in Christ Jesus and putting off the old and putting on the new. And now the thief doesn't steal anymore and the liar doesn't lie anymore. And now they're not a thief and they're not a liar. They are a child of God. You're not identified by your behavior, but you're identified by the one who gives life. And so I'm going to simply break my bread just as Jesus did. I'm going to model what Jesus did and what Paul confirmed in his writings to do. And we are breaking this to remind us of what Jesus gave, the price, the terrible price that he paid for us, but the beautiful price that was paid for us. And that although his bones were not broken, his body was laid open. It was inspected. Everything that was in him came out. That's real. Not just blood, water. Everything at death that will come out of a human came out of Jesus. He was emptied. And because he was emptied, we can be filled. Because he was emptied, we can be filled. And so we receive this today. This which is not the literal body of Christ, but representative of what he gave for us. And now we can be called the body of Christ. What a privilege, what a benefit, but what a responsibility that we have to Jesus and to one another.
And so today we receive this in a manner that's worthy of the king. That's worthy of the king who gave it all for us. And we ask the Lord to forgive us for behaviors toward one another that have been selfish, that have been hateful, that have been unkind, that have been filled with bitterness and anger. And we ask for forgiveness in the name of Jesus. We ask forgiveness for those behaviors. And that we would once again model what the true body of Jesus is supposed to be about. We receive this today in his name. Amen. Receive the bread. Thank you, Lord. And today we see this cup not as a literal blood of Jesus, but as a representation that he gave the only thing. Listen, the only thing that could have pardoned us, who could have, that could have atoned for us, was the blood, the, the blood of a spotless lamb in a spiritual sense. And Jesus did that. And so today we receive this cup. We receive it with the knowledge that the blood of Christ was given. That remission of sins, that, 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 that remission of sins that we've been bought at this super high price. That you who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in you, Jesus. And so today, Lord, we drink this today and we drink it in remembrance of you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That, my friends, is the breaking of bread. I'm not going to say it's the greatest message ever spoken on the breaking of bread, but I will say this. I believe the Lord gave it. I believe there's rich, rich treasure in this word today. I believe that if we have allowed it to, that maybe it shifted our mindset of what the breaking of bread really looks like. And I think that for many of us today, it will create a much more healthy, biblical, not just outlook on the breaking of bread, but actually living it out in real time. And here's an action step for you this week. I would encourage you when you gather your family this week, even if it's at a fast food restaurant or out, grab you some communion stuff, stick it in your purse, stick it in your car, whatever, and receive it together. Break bread together. If you have somebody over your house this week, break bread with them. Make it a point to break bread together. And uh, I know the Lord will be glorified, and I believe the Lord will be pleased. So may the Lord bless you guys. May he keep you. We love you, and may the Lord bless you.